Welcome to Equipus Church Dunedin. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jordan Smith. For more information, check out equipuschurch.com. Going out during the middle of the week, I prefer to stay in my house and get to bed at about 8:30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, no, really appreciate everyone coming out on Thursday, and um, hopefully it was um, helpful. As that's actually our goal with those seminars. Um, I didn't explain on Thursday, but how it actually happened was I have done a lot of training with um, placemakers and with Myco. So the amazing Ryan has actually experienced workplace training uh, with me, and we had to pretend not to know each other. But um, that was easy. Ryan, has already, he already does that anyway. Uh, he already treats me like that when you were in public. But anyhow, the, um, the, one of the learning and development managers at Placemakers, she had the idea. She said, um, hey, we've got some great feedback from the um, training, which is nice because feedback's not always great. But uh, we got some great feedback, and some of the feedback they got um, was that lots of the material that we covered in the training was going to be really helpful at work, right? Because how many of you know that mental health and resilience is an issue at work? looking after our thinking and our emotions and stuff. And, but some of the feedback they got was, oh, it's really helpful at work, but even more helpful at home. And so what she said was, why don't you develop like a two-hour course that we can run in the evening and open it up for staff and families to come along. So placemakers were going to pay for it. I'd deliver it. And, you know, but that was like, um, that was December 2019 she had that idea. Uh, and then the world went bananas, so placemakers haven't been able to use her idea. I think she's even moved to another company, all that sort of stuff. And um, so I had, but I developed this training course. And I was like, what can we do with it? And I, so I just rang a bunch of friends, people like Willie and Desiree all around the country. And I said, hey, why don't we, why don't we offer this and see whether it's helpful for people? And uh, some of the feedback we've had has been really encouraging. So um, I don't know, if you were here Thursday, one of the things we did was conversation tennis. Right, and the, the only guarantee from the training is that you will use that technique sometime in the next month. Uh, one of the feedback was from uh, Pastor James Roy. One of his mates came to the training in Wanganui. Um, they coach a rugby team together, uh, and then James's mate's wife was talking to Trina because this is how feedback works in the, in the male community. We tell our wives, and then it might get further, but otherwise we keep it to ourselves. Uh, and uh, she said, um, she said to Trina, oh, um, my husband's been using that conversation, the Iggy tennis conversation with our 12-year-old, and it's tra- transformed the dynamic of our house. Uh, and that was just super encouraging for me that, hey, there's this little idea I can remember learning 30 years ago, I think, <laughs> when I was at Teachers College, learned that conversation tennis idea, um, and it's helpful for people. So hopefully uh, when we come uh, do the same thing again uh, later in the year, uh, just encouragement, if you, if you invite people along, it's super non-threatening. Um, we, we, we're not opening the Bible on that Thursday night or praying or singing songs. We're just concentrating on some content that's helpful um, as well. Because obviously praying, singing songs, and opening the Bible, they're also really good for your mental health. Uh, it's pretty strong. It's actually really strong evidence for all of those things. You know, one of the main reasons you're here is not because it's heaps of fun. <laughs> hey, looking, I'm looking around. Anyone's like, no, I'm here for the fun. Anyone? <laughs> no. Uh, some people just here for the coffee. So, no, no. You can get coffee elsewhere as well, right? Actually, what happens when we gather together in church is really significant. Um, it's actually quite overwhelming, isn't it? Every now and then in church, you get caught by surprise. Like that, oh, I felt terrible when I came in. I feel different when I leave, you know? And this, that's not like a, just a, it's not just like an imagination or, or just a feeling. Things actually transform for us in all sorts of ways when we gather together, right? In all sorts of ways that, that scientists don't really understand, that we don't really understand. Um, the classic one that we've learned a lot about is Zoom. Who's, who's been doing some Zooming since 2019? Yeah, Zoom versus a face-to-face meeting. Um, and there's all sorts of things happen in a face-to-face meeting when we're in the same room that can't happen on Zoom. So one of the ones is eye contact. You can't make eye contact on Zoom. Have you tried? <laughs> you look at the contact. An hour later, you're like, Whoa. right? You actually can't make eye contact on Zoom. Um, the other thing that's really weird is when we gather together in a room, it not, and it doesn't happen online, is that when we're all physically present in the same space, our heart rates align. 
It's a weird one. It's a weird one. Um, and so what it means is that the people who's with the highest heart rates in the room, their heart rate will come down a little bit. The people with the lowest heart rate will, will come up a little bit, right? And that's what can happen when we gather in church and in our small groups, uh, even just getting together with a friend. When, we, when we're with other people, there's this connection that happens that's really important. You know, um, scientists don't know how our heart rates align. They just know that. When you, yeah, I think that's amazing, right? It's, we actually don't know everything. That's an important thing to remember, isn't it? But do you know what? As a as a just an everyday human, you can know when I when I gather together with people of faith, and we lift our voices, um, like the Bible says, we lift our hands, uh, we shout. These are the things the Bible says to do: shout, lift your hands, bash bash timbrels, make noise. Right? Uh, when we do that, there's a shift in our our life uh, that's really beneficial and positive. So. Anyhow, you guys already knew that because otherwise you wouldn't have bothered turning up, right? Uh, anyway, um, grab your Bible if you would, and we're going to have a look at some scriptures in a little bit. If you don't have your Bible, you can use your telephone. If you don't have a telephone, uh, yeah, yeah, then I don't know. I don't know who you are or where you're from. Um, uh, but just to introduce. Um, Myself a little bit. This is um, me and my family. Uh, so that on the far side, that's Austin, and then my beautiful wife Christine, and then uh, Lucia is in the middle. Uh, then the old person there in the green jacket, that's me, uh, and then our son Elliot, and then uh, Maddie wasn't there, but someone photoshopped her in on Facebook <laughs> for us. And just want to let you know, this is not to scale. Madeline is not a huge person. It's not quite to scale. Uh, and that's Maddie. She's st studying in Auckland. This photograph is from Mother's Day. Because at Equippers, that's when we get a family photo, isn't it? Uh, and uh, Maddie, uh, Maddie studied, studied in Auckland last year and, and this year. And so she wasn't there on Mother's Day. And our big boy, Elliot, is in Auckland as well this year. So we're down to just two children at home, which is quite weird. A, a really weird thing happened that I felt uns really unsettling. Um, I did the dishes in the evening and, and was turning the dishwasher on, but it wasn't full. <laughs> right? This is the first time in 20 years, right? So that's not full. Normally, the dishwasher is full, right? And the bench is full of dishes that they'll need to be washed, right? Uh, it, was a, it was a shocking, a shocking uh, event. Anyhow, uh, that's us and our family. So I want to read a scripture to get us started um, this morning. And this is a pretty um, famous one. Um, I've put it on the screen, which is handy for me because it means I don't have to put my glasses on to read it. I can actually look at the screen, right? And it says this. It says, therefore, and what do the Bible interpreters tell us about the word therefore in the Bible? Yeah, when the word therefore, you have to ask what it's there for, you know. Uh, so it's a linking word. It's the start of a chapter, but it's the, we know that the chapters were put in in the 1600s by a dude. He put them all in in one afternoon. Chapters and verses, he just put them all in, yeah. right? Uh, so the whole thing reads differently if you put it together with the previous chapter. The previous chapter is Hebrews 11, which starts that faith is the evidence of things hoped for. And the other thing to remember about the word faith in the Bible is nearly always, I use the word nearly there, but nearly always you can replace the word faith with a bigger word called faithfulness, right? Because sometimes we don't feel faith, but we do faithfulness, right? This is how parenting works or the new parents. Sometimes you don't feel parenting, but you still do it. Right, and that's how faith works. Right, it's not a, it's not connected to our romantic ideas about God and the universe. It's actually connected to how we choose to live in honor of God. Right, so when you read Hebrews chapter eleven, it talks about faithfulness as the evidence of things hoped for, and then it goes through and talks about all these heroes of faith. Right, and none of them were feeling it. Right, none of them were happy about it. They were, but they were focused on a higher purpose than what was immediately in front of them, right? Including the fact that it talks about some of them were murdered, um, boiled in oil, run through, hung, drawn, quartered, all those fun things that happened throughout history, right? And it, the Bible says the world wasn't worthy of them, right? That they were operating, that, that to me says that they were operating at a level above all of those physical realities. They were able to live in those physical realities with a connection to something bigger, Right? 
And then the Apostle Paul says this, or, um, or I think the Apostle Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews says this, uh, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So he paints this picture of all these heroes of faith throughout Scripture, um, throughout the tradition of following God. And then he says this, he says, therefore, because of all these people who are currently surrounding us and watching us, Right? He just assumes that. He doesn't explain how that works. <laughs> right? It would not be nice to know how that worked, eh? But it's one of those things you sort of know. Right? Are there people you know who aren't with us anymore, but they're still with you? Yeah, that sense of people around us, that sense of witness. Like for me specifically, uh, my grandparents were people who are really influential in, ter- in terms of my life and how I operate, how I think. And I often... When I'm living my life day to day, I often think of my grandfather and how he lived his life, right? Now, does that mean he, I don't know what that means, right? But it means something like this. (laughs) There's this surrounding presence of the way other people have lived, right? A great cloud of witnesses. And and Paul says this, we should lay aside every weight, so every unnecessary heavy thing, and we should lay aside sin, right? So weights weigh us down and slow us down, but sin does this other thing. It clings to us closely, right? So it sort of grabs hold of us. And then it says we should run with endurance the race that is set before us, right? And we should look to Jesus. He's the founder, so the beginner, the author, the originator, and he's the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Right? Super famous little passage, but I don't know if you pick it up. There's a huge amount of content in these few words. Right? This speaks to us about how are we going to live? How have other people lived in terms of faithfulness before God? How are we going to live? And then there's this key in it. There's, it's, like a, it's like a mechanism in here that's empowering for us. And it's just sort of slipped in there quietly. We, we look to Jesus. So we're looking to Jesus. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus. He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. What can we replace the word faith with? We can replace it with faithfulness. Who's the person who creates faithfulness in you? Jesus creates. Isn't it good that you don't have to create faith for you? You don't, actually, you don't actually create. I know some of you are really, really disciplined and faithful, right? I just want to tell you, you get no credit for that, <laughs> right? Because God creates faithfulness in us, right? Some of you are like me, really lazy, ill-disciplined, and useless, right? God's grace covers that, but what God wants to create in us is a faithfulness, right? A faithfulness. He creates it in us. He, he originates it in us, right? And then He finishes it. He perfects it. He works on it, right? There's this process, right? So we're looking to Jesus, and as we look to Him, part of looking to Him is this creation of faithfulness in us, right? Good thoughts? Um, last year, I don't know if you did it here, but normally in November, we do like a church-wide fasting, Right? So church-wide, we talk about fasting, and then a small group of us do fasting. <laughs> right? So sometimes I'm in the doing fasting group, but often I'm in the smiling, nodding about fasting group. Right? And last November, um, because of what, my, because of what uh, November, December was looking like, it was going to be really hard to do fasting. Right? Yeah, it wasn't just making excuses. No, I was just like I was. I was traveling every single week for the month. And I was like, oh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be really hard. So I decided instead of fasting food, I'd do something easy. And I took all the social media apps off my phone for the month. Um, and um, and I thought that would be easy. But I found something out about myself across that month. First thing I found out is that um, um, reading the back of a shampoo bottle while you're sitting on the toilet, is not as interesting as Instagram. <laughs> All right? <laughs> and then, do you know what I noticed? I noticed multiple p- times a day, sometimes multiple times an hour, 
I would pick up my phone, open it up, and then remember. Oh, like multiple times an hour. It's, I can remember the same feeling, and it's, I think this is why a social media fast is a fast. The same feeling, I don't know if you've ever done this. Who's ever fasted for more than like a day or two? Like, you know, I've done like a fast like that. Have you ever, a show of hands again would be helpful. Have you ever done this? You're like, oh man, I'm fasting, I'm really hungry. Yeah, I'm feeling hungry. Yeah, anyone? Yeah, cool, I'm feeling hungry. And so you go to the fridge or the pantry and you open it up and you're looking for something to eat that's not food. Because I'm fasting food, but I'm, I want, hey, anyone, a show of hands, has anyone ever done that? You're like, well, what in here? I'm fasting food, but is there something I can eat that's not food, right? It's like, no, hold on. That's, that, like, we're so pro, our attention is so focused and automated, right? Once we've trained ourselves to notice certain things, to pursue certain things, we lock in on those, and until you remove them, you don't realize how dependent you are or how programmed you are. Right? Do you remember when you first got a smartphone? Do you remember the, the first iPhones, you, the iPhone 4, I, I don't know the early ones, but iPhone 4, you had to pick it up and swipe across, right? And then you learned this technique and you could just pick it up and swipe, pick it up and swipe, right? This thing and it locks, it's in your, the, the memory of it's in your hand, you're, all of your attention is focused around this thing that's distracting you from whatever else you're supposed to be doing. Anyone? I found this out when when I was going through this fast last month. And I, I feel like there's something that we need to engage some thinking around um, in terms of our discipleship that says, where, where, where is our attention? Like Paul says, we've got this example of these heroes of faith. We've got this race that we're supposed to be running that's gonna require endurance and effort and sacrifice, if it's anything like the previous chapter in Hebrews. And then Paul's, tip for us is look at Jesus, look unto Jesus, look unto Jesus, and it's about where we're looking creates a shape for our life, right? So I want to talk about attention, and the first thing to think about when we think about attention, um, oh, actually, I'll tell you this study first. Um, there's a whole bunch of things about attention. Um, what are the effects of media and attention? Have you heard people talk about social media and attention spans? Most of the most of the, most of the time, we've got to realize that it's too early to know, right? What we do know is social media is messing people's heads around, right? We know it's messing. We don't know whether it's positive or negative, good or bad, or exactly how it's working. We know there's some big impacts, right? But so the first big impact is this thing called habituation to high arousal levels, right? So fast-moving videos or something hilarious, 15-second hit, hits on TikTok or Instagram reels, you know, someone hurts themselves or a dog does something cute or a car crash, right? We, we just go flick, 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 and there's lots and lots of exciting things, right? Now, ordinary life, if you're just walking down the street, it's not like cute dog, car crash, someone falls off scaffolding, uh, just as you walk down George Street, right? Actual life is not as exciting as Instagram, Right? Right? I would suggest it's better, but it's less exciting, right? If you're just trying to pass time, you're just trying to numb yourself, Instagram's way better than real life, right? If you think an hour on Instagram, you'd never spend an hour on Instagram, would you? Just check the settings. The phone is counting for you. You can find out how much time you spent there, right? Think about an hour on Instagram or um and high, the high levels of arousal you get, just keep you keep flicking, keep flicking. Compared to, I, I heard this. Um, there's a there's a philosopher dude that I follow on Substack. He's a, like a writer, and he talks about um, a meditation practice that he has used, right? And it's called a tree meditation. Would you like me to explain what a tree meditation is? So people are nodding. There's some real interest in the room, despite the fact that it's going to take me more than 15 seconds to explain it, right? So a tree meditation is this. You, you need to, first of all, find a tree. Step number one, find a tree. And then you want to get a chair or something to sit on, like a folding, a folding camp chair, $17 from Bunnings. They'll be down to about $17 at this time of year, eh? They start off at 45 and they slowly chip down. Uh, now's the time to buy, to be honest. Folding chair from Bunnings, about $17. Um, get one with the drink holder so you can put a glass of water there or a cup, you know, a cup of tea, something like that. Uh, and you sit down and you look at the tree for one hour. 
right? How many of you know that's way less exciting than one hour on Instagram? You're looking at one tree. In an hour on Instagram, you'll see five people die, 7,500 cute cats do something hilarious, right? Uh, in one hour. But what do you think is going to be more healthy for you? The tree. We sort of know that, right? But we don't do that, right? How many? I, I've done. I've attempted a tree meditation. That the most I've got to is 27 minutes, and then I can't. Literally, can't stand it, right? <laughs> I literally physically can't stay in the seat, right? Um, the challenge is there's something happening to our attention, and it's not all about social media. Part of it is about human nature and how distractible we are. But if we're gonna live a life of faithfulness. One of the things we've got to be able to do is fix our eyes on Jesus. And do you know what? Here's the other thing. If you want to have a successful career, you're going to have to be able to fix your eyes on things. So if you think about this, so a, faith, a life of faithfulness and discipleship, is like a, that's like an ultimate level. And for that ultimate level, we fix our eyes on Jesus. But it breaks down in all the other levels of your life. Are you going to be a great husband if you can't pay attention? Husbands? Right, <laughs> right. Are you going to be? Are you going to be a great wife if you can't pay attention? Well, you, so the ultimate is this attention on Jesus allows us to live this life of faithfulness. But that same idea, that word is that fragments down into all the little spaces. Right? Are you a very good driver? If you can't pay attention, right? If something exciting has to happen every fifteen seconds, I'm not driving in your car with you, right? When I'm driving and you're, when you're driving the car, I want it to be more like the tree meditation than one hour on Instagram, right? It should, there should be less car crashes in real life, right? Okay, so the next thing on the, 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 the transformations that are happening, so one is habituation to high levels of arousal. The third one is deterioration of attentional control processes, right? So there's good evidence that media, and that's all of media, not just social media, it inhibits your ability to, to control the spotlight of your attention. So there's two sides to your brain. Each side's got two spotlights. There's four spotlights so you can put your attention. So you literally can be driving and thinking about something else, and, you know, you sort of got these. But it, it's, there's only four. And what happens is it's not that your attention span gets lessened. What they're suggesting is that the, the mental muscle, here's a metaphor, right? The mental muscles are wasting away. Right, because you're not practicing control. You're just next thing, next thing. It's being sent to you. Does that make sense? So some people say, "Oh, people's attention is terrible." No, it's the attention is still the attention is still there, but your ability to control where it goes is being. That's almost more dangerous, right? <laughs> Someone else is controlling where your attention is going, right? That's a, that's the the third one, and the middle one I think is the most interesting. We become more. We become. Exposure to the media makes, means that we become increasingly sensitive to irrelevant information. So something irrelevant happens and we're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> something irrelevant is happening over there. Oh, oh gosh, we need to pay attention over there. Something irrelevant is happening over there. Oh, we have to pay attention over there. Something irrelevant is happening in another country. Oh, we need to think about that. Well, something irrelevant is happening in Auckland. We need to think about that. Something irrelevant is happening in Wellington. Let me assure you, lots of irrelevant things happen in Wellington, right? But the situation is that for our for our little world, bring it back to your little world, your whanau, for us as a church community, a community of faith, what happens if we constantly need excitement, we can't control where our attentions are going as well as we should, and we're constantly hypersensitive to something irrelevant happening here, something irrelevant happening there, and then we've got this big task of life to live like Jesus did, right? And we're trying to do that while we've got all these influences driving us. So I think there's, there's some room for us to grow in those spaces. So let's think about some, some things that we can think about, some mental models we can use to help us look unto Jesus. The first thing to think about is that your attention sets your direction. Um, in 1987, I lived in Corfa, uh, the corner of Corfa Grove and Alexander Road in Romati Beach. I'm looking at people who know the area, right? And from my house, the easiest way to the, to the playground at Wicker Park, because sometimes we play at the Lions Park, but that only had dangerous things in it, right? 
So sometimes we'd need to meet our friends at the playground at Wicker Park, and it was across an open playing field area, right? And because in 1987 children didn't have shoes, um, we had to cross the open playing field area without footwear, right? And in the 1980s, there were in every patch of grass, the I don't know who did it, the government, someone decided to put prickles everywhere. Right? Can we? Can anyone remember prickles? I'm th- I think the reason I don't really haven't had any prickles recently is because I I always wear shoes now. I think that's the that's the actual solution. But at the time we didn't think of that. We'd get to the park and we're like, oh, flip, we've got to get all the way across, and we had to dodge the prickles. And you have to come up with theories. And you do. I generally believe I thought that I could see them. I know where they are. I could see them. All right. And so you're navigating across a giant playing field. Like that scene from Mission Impossible where the, all the lasers are, you know? You're trying to cross what, you know, in, on small person's legs is miles. It's about 100 meters. But anyway, miles, navigating by the prickles. Because if you step on the prickles and you lift your foot, you've got 7,455 different little things you have to pull out. And if you don't pull them all out carefully, a terrible thing will happen, right? So what can happen is the little seed part breaks off and the little prickle part stays in there. Right? Now, that's not so bad, except that when your dad gets home from work, he's going to heat up a needle and dig it out for you. Right? What happens is, if we were going, sometimes we were going from the end of Corfar Grove to the playground, and that was a challenge, but sometimes we were going straight across the park to my uncle's house because he had a pool. If we were going there, it was no problem because we had our towels. Right? And so you could use the towel beats prickles technique. Do I need to explain this for you or you know how it works? Right? It's a slow process, but you (laughs) fling out the towel and then you walk casually to the end of the towel. Check, stand, pick up the towel. And within an hour or so, you're across that park, right? Um, Alternatively, you just had to tough it out. But if you were just going to tough it out, what you had to do was know where you were Aiming. Can you remember walking across the playground, a park like this, and learning as a small person, I know we need to keep our eyes fixed on the Norfolk pine or on this or that. Like if that's where the playground is, you need to sort of keep your eyes fixed there and navigate like that because, yes, you're going to get prickles, but you'll get less prickles than if you actually walk across every square foot of the grass trying to dodge the prickles, Right? And when we think about what, what Paul's telling us when he says fix our eyes on Jesus, what Hebrews tells us fix our eyes on Jesus, what we're doing is fixing our eyes on a direction not to avoid the prickles but to avoid the time waste, to avoid the distraction because the prickles are going to happen and you have to stop and pick them out. But, you, but there's going to be less prickles if we can actually keep focused on where we're going rather than avoiding the prickles. Ever try to avoid things? Don't think about chocolate cake, eh? <laughs> Ever tried to not think about chocolate cake when you're on a diet? Right? What, is, what does your mind consumed with when you're not thinking about prickles? The more we try and dodge those things, the more, uh, in terms of how our attention works, if we can focus on where we're aiming, it's going to be more effective, right? Point number two, we're racing through the points because obviously we're dealing with a, the advanced class here. Other church locations, we go more slowly, right? But here we're more intelligent. Um, point number two is that, and here's where we get serious, right? I'm going to get my glasses out. Uh, point number two is that um, where we're focused, our attention determines the fruit of our life. So you want to open your Bible or your phone because I didn't give the scripture. This scripture is not in the PowerPoint because it was, it was too much cutting and pasting. So I'm going to read it from a, a flip. There you go. There's a visual cue for you. I'm going to read it from an actual Bible, right? So that's why I have to wear my binoculars. So Genesis chapter 30, uh, and I'm reading from like verse 25. And this is in the story of, of the patriarch Jacob. And it's, it's an ancient and intensely weird story, right? How many people have read the Bible? Quite a lot of really weird things, right? When, I've, I've heard the Bible described as basic instructions before leaving earth, which is a nice little acronym, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. But I think the person who came with the acronym had not read the Bible, 
right? It should, the acronym should be something like weird stories to make you wonder constantly while you're on earth, right? That's much more like what the Bible is, right? So after Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, so Laban is his father-in-law uh, who he's been working for, and they've got this really bizarre relationship where they're cheating each other constantly, right? Um, and Laban, he says to Laban, hey, let me go, send me away so that I can go home to my own country, let me take my wives and my children, whom I've acquired by working for you. Now, there's a weird thing, eh? I've acquired some wives, weird, uh, and I've acquired some children by working for you. I'll depart because you know how hard I've worked for you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, please stay here because I've learned by divination, that's like magical practices, that God has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I'll pay you whatever you want. And Jacob goes on and says, you know how I've worked for you and how well your livestock have fared under my care. Indeed, you have had little before I arrived, but now that I've been here, your possessions have increased many times over. The Lord has blessed whatever I worked, but now how long must it be before I go and do something to establish my own family? So Laban said, what should I give you? So you don't need to give me a thing, said Jacob. But if you agree to this one condition, I'll continue to care for your flocks and protect them. Let me walk among all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark colored lamb and the spotted or speckled goats. These animals will be my wages. My integrity will testify to me later on. Because when you come to look at the flock, You'll be able to check what I've taken, right? If I have in my possession any goat that's not speckled or spotted or any sheep that is not dark colored, it will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. It will be as you say. So here's the deal. Jacob is going to take for his wages all the spotted or speckled sheep, right? But before he does that, Laban removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted all the female goats that were speckled or spotted, and all, all of them that had any white of them, and all the dark-colored lambs, and he put them in the care of his sons, and then they separated them from Jacob by a three-day journey, and while Jacob was taking care of the rest of Laban's flocks. Okay, so here's the cheat. So they do this deal, and because they're not stupid, uh, they know where spotted and speckled lambs, and they actually know where the sheep come from, Okay. We don't have a diagram for that, right? We just You can just imagine that they actually know how it works. And so Laban does this deal, and then he, he takes the, the lambs with the spots or the, 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 all the spots, and he removes them so that they, they, they can't keep breeding so that Jacob has no wages, right? Uh, but Jacob, his response to this is that he takes some fresh-cut branches from the poplar, almond, and plane trees, uh, or I think other translations say like chestnut trees, right? There's all sorts of different trees that they might be. Uh, and, he, he, um, and he might, in, the, in these branches, he makes some white streaks in them by peeling parts of them. So you've got the dark bark and then the, the light wood underneath. And he sets up these peeled branches at the watering troughs where the flocks come to drink. He sets the branches up in front of the flocks when they're in heat and they come to drink. When the sheep mated in front of the branches, they gave birth to young goats that were streaked or speckled or spotted, right? Can I, I just want to tell you, that's not how biology works, <laughs> right? And, you know, Jacob knew how biology works, right? Sometimes you read the Bible and think, these people were stupid. No, they weren't stupid. They just were ancient, right? It's not how biology works, right? Um, but that's, it's not how biology works, but it is what happens, right? Jacob removed these lambs. Oh, sorry. When the sheep mated in front of the branches, they gave birth to young that were streaked, speckled, or spotted. So Jacob removed those lambs, uh, and he made the rest of the flocks face the streaked and completely dark-colored animals in Laban's flock. So he made separate flocks for himself, and he did not mix them with Laban's flocks, right? When the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would set up the sticks, um, and they would mate and produce great offspring. But if the animals were weaker, he didn't set the branches up. So that the weaker animals ended up belonging to Laban, and the stronger animals belonged to Jacob. In this way, Jacob became extremely prosperous. He owned large flocks, male and female servants, camels, and donkeys. Right? 
this, <laughs> this story is about attention. It's not a bio, this isn't a lesson for us to learn how to breed sheep. This is a lesson for us to understand how our attention will affect what gets produced out of our life. Are there things being produced in your life that you don't like? Are there things being produced in your life that you do like? Where do they come from? They come out of our attention. Like, like Paul said, if we can fix our eyes on Jesus, we're going to reproduce out of our life the things that retain to faithfulness, right? If our focus is shifting and moving and moving all around, we're going to produce all sorts of random flocks, it's the, one of the weirdest things about humans is that that we we reproduce. If you think one thought, it leads to another thought. It sort of doesn't know one thought will lead to two other thoughts, and our our thinking and stuff can branch, right? So you can really quickly, you know, you know this in terms of things like an anxiety thought process or a depressive thought process, right? Uh, and one negative or anxious thought will lead to two, which leads to four, which leads to eight. Like it doesn't, it's not just like, oh, I've been feeling like this for a couple of days and ding, ding, ding. No, it, within a few minutes, we can spiral into a really difficult space in our thinking, right? Because of this reproductive power of our heart, right? And it's the same when we can fix our eyes on something positive, Right? When we can fix our eyes on positive things, it leads to shifts in our emotions, shifts in our physical state, shift in our mental state, shift in our brain chemistry, right? And that's what this story is pointing to, that what we're what we're putting in front of ourselves in critical moments, particularly, what we put in front of our eyes in critical moments is determining what gets produced in the fruit of our life, right? So it our attention sets direction for our life but it also shapes what gets produced out of our life. And the last thing to think about is, in terms of key ideas is that what, is, what captures our attention shapes our desires. You can, you can see it in the story of the sheep and the goats. This connection between attention and desire is part of that story, right? Um. By way of illustration, in 1999, my parents went to America on a holiday, and uh, they came back with these, right? So my parents were in their mid-50s at the time, and they came back with what can only be described as an absolute abomination in terms of footwear. In 1999, people in their mid-50s came back from overseas with maybe 50 cents worth of plastic shaped into a $100 shoe, right? Uh, and they got about with these, and they, were, they would go on and on about how comfortable they were, how light they were, and even lots of nurses wear them in the hospital, right? I'm like, yeah, nurses are wearing blood-covered gowns as well. That's not popular, right? But for some reason, Middle-aged people in the late 90s and early 2000s were getting about in 50-cent shoes that they'd paid a hundred and something dollars for, right? And, well, most of us at the time, right-thinking, I would describe myself as right-thinking people at the time, assumed that this fad would die out with the lunatics who were wearing them, <laughs> right? That eventually... There's, you're going to run out of people in their mid-50s. They're going to turn into people in their 60s, and then those plastic shoes will bury them with them, right? But it turns out that that's not the case because for some reason, somebody cool started wearing Crocs. So now, every 15-year-old in the world has to have some. Why? How have they done that? Literally, they, once Kanye West started wearing them, right? Everyone's got to have them. Why? Because what's got our attention is shaping our desires, right? And we just have to be really aware. Not, I was going to say we have to be careful. We have to be aware of what's going on all around us all of the time, what, right? Are we, 
when it comes to your life, are you, are you more like Jacob or are you more like just sheep? <laughs> right? We spend a lot of our time actually just being sheep. You know, get some water. Oh, spotted stick. Oh. Right? Like we're just, rather than thinking, you know, what, are, what am I putting in front? Because one of the challenges of being a human is you get to be the shepherd and the sheep. Right? You sort of have this. Do you have that relationship with yourself? Right? Oh, no, I don't. I don't I, you know, I was talking to a friend who says that she doesn't like to have um, too many nice snacks in the house. Right? That's been the shepherd. Right? The sheep says, oh, I'll just put the snacks there. They'll, they'll be there till next week. Right? They midnight. Right? The reality is, unless you build the shape around your life, unless you can be the shepherd or, and also allow Christ in you to be the shepherd of your life, you, you, you're, you're not going to be able to run that race. You're not going to have the energy to keep pushing through because you're going, if you run a marathon, but on every street corner, you just think, oh, I know the, tra- the course goes that way, but I might just check what's down this street. Are you going to win that marathon? Right? You actually have to stay on that course. If you're checking all the things, if your attention is scattered, if you're, if you're let, let me put this, if you're spending $100 on 50-cent shoes, right? Well, good luck to you. But if you have that same mentality in terms of the things that really matter in life, like values and relationships and and, and your purpose and your goals, if you're spending $100 of energy on 50-cent goals because some, someone has manipulated your thinking to make it look like this is a really valuable thing. Oh, I've got to be out with the boys. Well, maybe, that's a, but that's like a 50-cent thing. I've got to build strong relationships with people who are going somewhere sensible. That's a valuable thing. And we, we, you just need to invest in those in a, in a way that makes sense because otherwise you're like those middle-aged people in the early 2000s or 15-year-olds today and you're spending all your pocket money when you probably, these are already passed. Birkenstocks have already almost come and gone again. Do you know, do you know Birkenstocks? Sort of hippie sandals that German people wear. Up until very recently, Jake Language was the only person I would consider a friend who would wear them, right? Right? And now, again, everyone's got to have them, right? But give it, a, give it six months and there'll be the next thing, right? Right? We've got to realize what's going on with some of these things because our attention is set in the direction. Our attention is determining what gets produced out of our life, and it's also shaping our desires, the things that we really, really want, a shape fire. A couple of things to think about before we finish. Um, the first one is this idea of pleasure. Um, I know it's not a word we talk about in church often, but um, you know when you're driving a car, let's say you're driving a car at 70. So it's a 60 zone, you're driving along. Um, that was a good joke, but you missed it. <laughs> so let's say you're driving a, uh, an SUV, right? Because that's basically a standard vehicle now for some reason. You're driving your SUV, it weighs maybe a thousand kilograms, maybe a little more, maybe two if it's a proper, if it's a Land Cruiser, like you're driving along there. You're doing 70 kilometers an hour. There's cars parked on the side of the road. It's a semi-residential area. There's a bit of this, a bit of that going on, right? You're driving along at 70, and then there's a bus shelter with an advertisement in it, right? So you're driving the car at 70, but there's a, a picture of an ice cream. Right? Even though you're piloting a thousand kilograms of steel down a street where kids could cross the road at any moment, you'll still go like this, eh? Ice cream. You've eaten ice cream before, you know what ice cream tastes like, but the, that photograph somehow it captures your attention because it's connected to the pleasure part of your brain. Right? And we just need to be aware of the fact that things that cause us pleasure can grab our attention even if they shouldn't, right? Even if what, if you're driving the SUV at 70 kilometers an hour, should you be looking at the picture of an ice cream? When you crash the car, will you say to the policeman, yeah, I was looking at the picture of ice cream. Will you say that? I don't think it will come up in conversation, right? The reality is that flick of attention is dangerous. It's objectively dangerous, but we still, our attention isn't necessarily, it's just, there's something weird about attention we need to wear. It's not 
completely under our control. Things can grab it, right? And advertisers use that, right? But we need to recognize that a lot of the time what the enemy is trying to do. There's a lot of, there's always been threats. I've been, since I've been a, a, a young Christian, there's, there's always weird conversations that happen around church about Satanism. Right? Have you, you know? And this person's a Satanist and that person's a Satanist. The, this is how Satan, this is what Satanism is. There's an ice cream and you're doing this really important thing, but you're like, because the enemy isn't trying to crash your car. He's just trying to distract you. And then you'll crash your car. Right? He's just trying to fragment your attention so you can't keep focused. If, 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 the, if the only way we can achieve what God's called us to, if the only way we can be everything God's made us to be is if we can fix our eyes on Jesus, the enemy doesn't have to attack Jesus. Okay, let me just make this really clear. God's the creator of all things. He's the source of all energy, all power, all things that exist, material and immaterial, including the devil. The devil can't attack God. Right? That's like your toddler attacking you. Right? It doesn't hurt. Right? You, you pick the toddler up as long as your arms are longer than theirs, right? Right? So the devil can't attack God. One of the things the devil likes to tell us is that he's powerful, but he's not. All he can do is fragment our attention so we're not keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, and then we are destroyed, right? So the enemy's attack is on us and around our attention. And the, one of the key things to think about is this idea of the things that cause us pleasure, right? Think of all the things that cause you pleasure. Think of how powerfully distracting they can be in terms of your journey of faith, right? Um, the next one is this one is pain. When, um, when I was at teacher's college, I had um, I injured my lower back. It was the first time I injured my lower back. was sort of in my late, uh, early 20s. Um, and it was pretty painful. You get that. If you've, I can remember before I had a back injury, I can remember people who had back injuries. I'm like, oh, whatever. You've got a sore back. But then you have, once you get that sciatic pain down your legs, it's like, whoa, this is particularly special. Right? And um, I can remember it was like a particular time of year I needed to be in classes to listen to what was going on. Um, and so I decided I would go to class. Um, but I, there was two things like, two things were really uncomfortable. One of them was standing up was really, really uncomfortable. The other one was sitting down was really, really uncomfortable. Um, so what I could do was lying down. Right? So I went to the lectures and then I lay down. Right? And I learned, learned zero things. Because I lay in the lecture thinking, man, my back is sore, 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 man, my back is sore. And the person's talking, they might as well have been, oh, who knows what they could have been talking about. I would never know. Because all of my attention was in one place, this point of pain. And maybe musicians who will come now, we can finish with a song in a couple of minutes. But um, Where I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants to minister to you today is, is minister some healing around some points of pain. Maybe, maybe close your eyes and think, think back 30 minutes when I talked about fixing your eyes on Jesus. When I talked about, began talking about focus and attention. What are the things what are the points of pain for you that distract you from being able to fix your eyes on Jesus? There's two major sources of pain and they relate to each other pretty closely, but we can pull them out apart from each other for a bit. There's the pain that's caused by things that happen to us. The most painful things being things that other people do or say that impact our view of ourselves that impact our view of the world, that disrupt our relationship with Christ. Maybe there's some points of pain this morning that I think just like Pastor Willie said earlier that we can we could maybe just give to God. I know that sounds, sound, sounds overly simple, but it's if it wasn't simple, we wouldn't be able to do it anyway. So maybe there's some points of pain that revolve around other people. 
that you could give to God. So just as you're sitting there, I want you to, you've got your eyes closed, but I just want you to uh, put your hand in your pocket or imagine yourself putting your hand in your pocket. I just want you, want you to pull out that point of pain and hold it in one hand. Things that other people said, things that other people have done. The second area or point of pain that I think cuts across our vision, distracts us from who we are, distracts us from who Christ is, prevents us from living a life of deep meaning is not the things other people did, but the things that we've done. The pain of our own regrets, the, the weight of our own shame. For some of us, we actually don't give two hoots about what anyone else does but we're deeply hurt by the mistakes that we have made. And maybe we could give some of those things to God as well. Maybe reach into your other pocket with your other hand. Just grab those things out. And as you're sitting there with your hands closed, let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence that's here with us. And Jesus, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. And Lord, so that we can run with endurance the race you've set for us, whether that's about the year ahead at university or it's about our relationships and family or it's about our work and our career or, or it's just about honouring you in life. Whatever that race looks like, whatever wherever we're at in it, Lord, so that we can run it with endurance. Lord, we want to give to you these weights and these sins these hurts and these regrets. We don't know how to give it, but we can imagine it. So Lord, as we open our hands and release these things, Lord, we thank you that you also release them and lift them off our hearts and off our heads and our minds and our shoulders. So just when you're ready, just open your hands. Just allow those things maybe to fall to the floor, I always imagine them dissolving into dust and blowing away. Maybe we could all stand together. Lord, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at Equipus Church, Dunedin. We pray that it blessed you. For more information, please check out equipuschurch.com.